So uh, our topic this morning is Nicodemus. And um, let me put this down too. A couple years ago, uh, my wife Lynn and I were helping our son and his family move across country. And uh, they were moving from Los Angeles to Nashville. It was about a four-day trip. And so it was something like a caravan on the interstate. They'd rented a U-Haul truck. They had a trailer on the back of the truck with a car up on the trailer. And we were driving their other car across the country. So uh, the, the U-Haul was in front, and every vehicle was stuffed to the gills with all the possessions that somehow they'd accumulated in their short married life together. Um, they were not particularly good packers. This was not a professional job. This was completely amateur. I mean, we were loading sacks, you know, uh, trash bags full of clothing and loose kitchen items. We looked kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies in a modern phase, you know, with pots and pans and everything hanging off the vehicles as we're driving across the country. The first day went pretty well. Um, you know, the weather was good. The vehicles ran well. We made good time, uh, got to our destination, had a good night's sleep. We got up the second day. Well, while we were packing, after a long day of loading stuff, um, we came to the point where there were just a few last items, and out comes our daughter-in-law with her most precious possession. It was a vase, a glass vase filled with sand. And every vacation that she and our son went on, every occasion that they had a chance to go to the beach or do something special, create some special memory, she would take sand from that location and pour it into this vase. So she had set it aside for special handling. Finally, it came out as we were packing the vehicles and there was only one place left for this to go because there was no other room anywhere in any of the vehicles and it was behind the passenger seat on the floor. So our son carefully planted that right there. So as I said, everything went well the first day. Uh, we got up the second day. We're making our way across the panhandle of Texas and uh, our son's driving the truck in front. I'm driving the car behind. The day is wearing on. And late afternoon, Lynn gets a little drowsy and thinks, I'll just take a little nap. Pulls the lever, leans back, and pow, just shattered the vase. We looked at each other, knowing exactly what had happened. And then we looked at the road for the next 30 minutes and didn't say a word. <laughs> we wondered, what are we going to tell her? How can we make this right? Then, this is, tells you a little bit about the way my mind works. It occurred to me, you know, the problem here is that this vase was, was both important and not important enough. It received special attention, it was set aside, but it received no attention at all. There was no forethought, there was no specially designed box with packing material for this thing. It was a superficial handling of an important and a valuable treasure. It really wasn't our fault. <laughs> it was their fault. 
So I became the, uh, the attorney for the accused at this point. This is the way my mind works. Thankfully, we were able to salvage the sand because the vase broke above the area where the sand was located. And thankfully, our son and daughter-in-law were gracious and understanding. And thankfully, the relationship wasn't shattered like that vase. But it occurs to me that sometimes we approach our faith very similarly to the way our kids approach that vase. We set it aside for special handling because we know somehow it's important, but then it only gets superficial attention. We treasure it enough to do something about it, but we do precious little to protect, preserve, or grow and develop our faith. Becomes the mantelpiece in our life rather than the foundation of or the engine of our lives. It may remind us of a cherished experience from the past, but it has no ongoing significance other than some kind of a keepsake. Now, Nicodemus is a minor character in the story of the gospel who comes at night to the Lord to avoid committing himself. He's smart, he's well-educated, he's a religious official, and he's probably more than a little bit interested in maintaining the status quo. He would have been well-versed in the philosophical arguments of the day, and he'd heard about this Jesus who was turning the world upside down and was winning the popular vote and was probably more than a little concerned about maintaining the religious structures so that they're properly respected. He was a leader of the Jews and probably on the Sanhedrin. But his approach was superficial. This was a mere effort at bridge building. Now, if you're anything like me, it's at night where the worries and the anxieties of the day that get masked over begin to emerge. Sometimes in my dreams, sometimes in the middle of the night, I get awakened and I think about all the things I'm really anxious and worried about. Darkness is the place where uncertainty and anxiety and ignorance gets the best of us. It's there that I worry about the things I can't control in my life. My kids, my grandkids, my own aging, my fear and anxiety if I'll contract the same kind of dementia that both my mother and my grandfather have had. So if you're like me, we're not so different from Nicodemus. We too know what it is to focus on the insignificant and worry about the significant. We know what it's like to fail to attend to the most important things. So to avoid being seen and for convenience, Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night under the cover of darkness where he could hide from those others who might not like what he's doing, might not approve, and he can even hide from himself. 
He comes to talk philosophy and politics. So he begins with a little flattery. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. But Jesus sees through his little charade. He turns the tables and he says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. Rather than talking generalities, Jesus turns those tables and wants to talk about Nicodemus' life. A new beginning, Nicodemus, a fresh start. We professional people of faith are particularly susceptible to this kind of deflection. Let's talk about the theories of the atonement. Not my faith, not my life. Nicodemus wants to talk about generalities while Jesus says, you have to be born from above. You have to get the spirit, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it will. That's Jesus. We talk on one superficial level and Jesus is always inviting a much deeper conversation with us. The whole conversation begins to sound a little bit like that old Abbott and Costello bit. Who's on first? You know, they're just talking by each other at this point. Did you say, you know, born again? No, turn up your hearing aid, Nicodemus. Born from above, anathen. It's a Greek word. It means from top to bottom. It's the same word we use on Good Friday when Jesus is crucified and the, and the veil in the temple is torn anathen from top to bottom. Nicodemus, you have to be born from above, from top down. God wanted Nicodemus' mind, but also his heart. Nicodemus didn't need any more information. He needed a new beginning that was so basic that the only way to talk about it was the analogy of birth itself. Now, in the gospel story, we'll hear... Uh, from Nicodemus two more times. In the seventh chapter, he puts up kind of a half-hearted defense for Jesus as things are going south. He says, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they're doing, does it? Well, unfortunately, Nicodemus didn't prevail in that conversation either. And then he also appears at the end of the story. When Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took the dead body of Jesus after the crucifixion and prepared it for burial. And on that occasion, when darkness actually appeared to be triumphant, Nicodemus was no longer ashamed to be numbered among the disciples of Jesus Christ. And at least for him, he had come out of the darkness and into the light. So maybe, like Nicodemus, it's time for us to emerge 
from the shadows and to take a stand ourselves on all this faith stuff that we talk about superficially. Sometimes in life, more is needed than merely protecting what we treasure by setting it aside with only half-hearted effort. It isn't minor repairs or just a few alterations that we need in life. You can't inch your way towards this. God wants to do a renovation that begins in the attic and goes to the basement from top to bottom. A nothing. A more substantive and fundamental change in life is both needed and thank God in Christ it's available to us. A new beginning. That's what the sacrament of baptism is about. A cleansing of the past. Dying and rising to new life. A nothing. Born from above. Born of water and spirit. It doesn't have to happen more than once because God is always faithful in God's love for us. But we need to remember it. We need to renew it. So what does the Lord want to renovate in your life this morning? Perhaps like Nicodemus, you only want to approach this Lord from the shadows under the cover of darkness when no one else is looking. Christ is aware of what's happening in your life. Christ knows where you are hiding and what you are hiding. Christ is waiting to welcome you home, waiting for that conversation that you're trying to avoid. Christ is waiting to get personal with you. God loves the whole world, that's true. But if you haven't really fully understood that Christ loves you and wants to get in your life, then you haven't understood that amazing grace. That's what saves us from condemnation. God's love is universal, but it's particular. And it includes you. Now you know the church, throughout this facility, there's some beautiful stained glass. Judson Studios of uh, Pasadena has provided the artistry that's created all of this. But what's beautiful about stained glass is not that it's perfect. It's a lot of broken shards of different colored glass that gets put together and the artistry brings it into beauty and magnificence. If all the little broken shards of glass were laying at our feet, we couldn't imagine that it would make this sort of beauty. So I don't know what's broken in your life. What shards you're looking at around your feet, wondering if anything can be made of this. But it just might be possible that by God's loving grace, that brokenness 
can be made into something remarkably beautiful. Thanks be to God. Amen.